I mean, I feel like if you could like adopt dogs at that age, like we would have people with like dogs because oh, okay, that's a right. thing to put your feelings into. Like you know what? Call Nida because that baffled. <laughs> New eating disorder. It's actually just hoarding animals. <laughs> oh, it's okay to laugh about. That's so dark. But so oh, it's totally. I'm like, I am. I just live in dark humor. Like, oh my gosh, it cracks me up. I am going to switch up this intro for this episode. I'm going to do something a little bit different, and I am going to talk to you about the episode that you are about to listen to. It is a conversation between me and Megan Crab, who, if you don't know, is Body Posa Panda. And I realized, listening back to this episode, that I didn't actually introduce her as Body Posa Panda when I talked to her. And so... I didn't want you all to listen to this episode and not know who I was talking to for a good little bit. But this episode is probably one of my most fun, interesting, tangent jumping episodes to date. I really had so much fun with this episode. I had so much fun talking to Megan. It was literally a dream come true. Just given my journey and her role in my journey and having followed her for so long having that moment when she first followed me and just you know having her like my posts comment on my posts and feeling very validated in that someone who was so far into their recovery and so far into their own journey with body positivity was validating me and so those were just very special moments to me and so the fact that she came on my podcast just was probably the best thing that could have happened to me in the last couple months so in this episode today we talk about just about everything we talk about how she identifies as biracial and how she occupies middle ground in terms of identity with size and race and so many other things and we also talk about how she grew up without any women of color role models and she didn't have role models in her life that loved their bodies and spoke about loving their bodies and she also talked about feeling othered at a young age because of her size and then we also talk about her eating disorder and we we go back and forth and talk about different topics and we come back to these topics and we go away again and come back. So I won't say that this conversation is linear, just like many things in life aren't. But if you listen, I think you're going to learn a lot. I think you're going to feel validated. I think you're going to enjoy yourself. We also talk about how she came to Instagram originally and what it was like becoming Body Posa Panda and what it's like today being Body Posa Panda and having to face that Instagram personality every day, that Instagram name, and living as a name instead of essentially a person in some regards and people not understanding who you are even though you're showing it to them because they see you as a name 
and as your posts and as your content. We also talk about queerness in this episode and Megan shares with us some very deep things that she has not shared about before. So you are hearing some things brand new. You will not find them other places right now. And then of course there is quite a few tangents. There's a Jonas Brothers tangent. There's a Taylor Swift tangent. All very good things. I will say this episode was recorded in July, I believe. And so we are a month out at this point, but the content still stands. And I really hope you guys enjoy this and hang out on this ride. I want to put a warning that this conversation is not censored and can include potentially triggering material. We also don't censor for cursing, but we will try to bleep out any numbers regarding weight or exercise activity. If at any time you feel yourself triggered or profoundly upset, please stop listening and take care of you and your mental health. That's honestly what's most important. If you're new here, we listen to people tell the story of their bodies. This might include discrimination based on race, gender, size, sexuality, etc., and also the different traumas people have experienced in their body, including mental and physical health, eating disorders, body image, sexual assault, gender dysphoria, and more. Hello, everyone. I have Megan Crabb with me today. It is so great to have you here. Hi. Hello. I'm really, really happy to be here. I said to you on email, but it's like we've been following each other for years, but have never had a conversation. It's fine. I'm, I like might still have the screenshot of when you followed me. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like no pressure. No pressure. That's, that's adorable. If you want, I can like unfollow you and follow you again. Oh my gosh. I would like take, I would screenshot that like, like all over again. That's so cute. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You're doing amazing work. I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Um, So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you identify? Yes, sure. So you already said my name, which is Megan. My pronouns are she, her. I have been making content online for like five nearly six years centering Mm. around body image body politics body positivity and also mental health and recovery various parts of feminism sometimes a bit of sex positivity sometimes a bit of awareness around ableism and disability uh, trans rights all of that good stuff and yeah that's I'm, I'm I'm still bad at like introducing myself can you believe that after oh I'm so bad at it I'm so bad but that's the general gist of it. I say th- I say opinions sometimes on the internet, sometimes uh, in front of audiences and stuff like that, and that's that's it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I say opinions, <laughs> and then people like them. <laughs> sometimes, and sometimes they really don't. And you know what? You just have to go with it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. Okay, so I guess we'll just jump right in it. Um, what has life been like in your body? Hmm. That it's such a good starter question. I would say that life in my body has been extremely comfortable and accessible and privileged in some ways and extremely 
painful and difficult to navigate in others. I, I spend a lot of time nearly every day kind of thinking how in a lot of ways I occupy a real middle ground in identity in, in so mm. many ways. I'm like right in the middle um, and in the middle of size, of race, of sexuality, of all of it, there is so much privilege, so much, and you can kind of still navigate the world without any of the huge inaccessibilities or prejudices that people more marginalized than you face. And you're also constantly aware that you don't belong to the other side either. Um, and I think for me, that has manifested more since being online, more since doing this work online, where you're kind of hyper aware of your body. You know, we both do mm -hmm. a lot of work around recovery and our bodies. And some days it's like, is, is, is this better? Because I'm so aware all the time of my body and my identity and, and all of it. I think yes. on a, on a personal level, existing in my body has been, I would say a journey from feeling like something was wrong for the first time when I was a child. I felt that I think for the first time around four or five years old to feeling completely at war with myself and the way I looked as a teenager when I had anorexia nervosa to trying to fix that, to trying to mend all the damage that I had done internally uh, in my own mind towards myself and mm -hmm. find more of a home in my body and, and being okay with however that then manifested on the outside. Uh, so I've kind of, I would say I've hit the majority of stops along the way of internal body acceptance, but I'm very, very aware that I've had a different experience in the outside world um, to, to people who don't have as much privilege in their bodies as I do. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of focus on internal versus external and and that might sum it up so you said that like you noticed this when you were like four or five what 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 came up then so that was that was when i started primary school and i have this very very vivid memory of the classroom that i was in and where i was at this table and these little blue plastic chairs uh, and i was in a classroom of all white children. I've grown up in, I grew up in a essentially all white area where I was very used to being the only uh, kid of color around. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the first things I was aware of. And also the fact that my body just seemed to be different. And in this little blue plastic chair, my legs seemed to take up a lot more space than the kid sat next to me. And I kind Ooh. of went home that like one of these first days and I, for some reason, like I didn't want to bring up the body size part. I didn't want to ask my mom like why that was because I think by that age I had already internalized that that must be a personal failing on my part. Mm. So I didn't bring that up. I brought up the, I don't understand. <laughs> I literally said, I don't understand whether I'm black or white. Can you, can you explain it to me? Um, oh, wow. as a five-year-old <laughs> so I, that must have been really fun to deal with for, for my mom right <laughs> um but yeah the, the the body size thing I just internalized it I just started to notice it 
more and more started to pick up on on my eating habits and the eating habits of the kids around me and I think I kind of started dieting like nine nine or ten seriously but calling mm-hmm. it other things because again I didn't want to say it out loud I didn't want to admit to anyone around me or my parents I, I think this body is wrong and I think the reason it's wrong is because it's too big but that is that's all the time that it took in the world for me to internalize that level of fat phobia wow wow yes I mean I think somehow we figured out when we're younger even if no one like directly says it to us absolutely did you have like a similar was yours a similar age where it hit I went on my first whole 24 hour long diet um in fourth grade <laughs> um, is that is that like um oh, yeah. you are not in America um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think I would have been like eight eight ish yeah mm. I'm so bad at that. I literally have to count backwards from like tw- like seventh grade to get my age for <laughs> grades. But I think it would have been about eight. And my grandmother decided to do the South Beach diet. And mm-hmm. I I wanted to do something cool with her. So I wanted to do it with her. And I think it lasted all of 24 hours until she made us ricotta cheese ice cream. Um which is probably the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. Yeah, um, that doesn't get me excited, I'm not going to lie. Like, ricotta cheese just shouldn't pretend to be ice cream in any <laughs> shape or form. Like, it's cheese, literally. <laughs> and I think I gave up at that point and was like, I will not be doing this with you. <laughs> wow. See, see, 24 hours, and they say that diets aren't sustainable. Like, that's... <laughs> You I put in a good effort there. <laughs> and I remember because I had like taken like my little diet food lunch with me and to school. And I remember the kids were like, why are you eating that? And I was like, I'm on a diet. <laughs> like, Were you like I, proud about it? I like thought I was so cool. And they were like, <laughs> you don't need to be on a diet. And I was like, but I do. Because <laughs> it was like that, that adult thing to be doing. Exactly. Like the adults were doing it and I wanted to be cool like them. And like mm. no one else was on a diet. I was I was on a diet. Like, no, no, it was not that cool. Mm-hmm. And then and then I had ricotta cheese ice cream and I gave it up. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I think things. it still cracks me up because my grandmother still has that damn book in her apartment today. <laughs> what the the South Beach diet book? Yes, yes, she still has the same book. I mean, I'm gonna. I don't know your grandma personally, but I'm gonna go out on a whim and like assume she didn't do the diet once and then stay thin forever. Um, no, she did not. She did not. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no shade to grandma. Like, obviously, no not shade her fault, to grandma. Work. <laughs> but yeah, no, she, I mean, I don't even know. I think she did it a couple more times, but like, because you can't do a diet just once because it doesn't work. But like, I don't know why she kept this damn book, but she still has it in her apartment. And I saw it like this year and was like, that's weird. That's, Aww. that's a message. <laughs> That's sad, isn't it? It's always so sad when you like stumble upon these items or like memories and you realize how fucked up that was to be consuming at that age. Yes. And like she just 
constantly like i've like quote unquote trained her to not like talk badly about food as much but like she still you know doesn't let herself like eat things and so like i've been buying her groceries well not buying them but like i order them for her to pick them up because of covid Mm -hmm. um and this past week she was like oh well i guess i just won't get my champagne and ice cream and i was (laughs) like why and she was like self-discipline and i was like eat the damn ice cream like excuse me woman you're like 86 like does it matter Uh, also who doesn't want to be a grandma who exists on champagne and ice cream right wow (laughs) that's my goal (laughs) let her know that i i support her life decisions and i wish for her to continue on that path (laughs) i i figure that next time if she doesn't (laughs) want it i'm just gonna order it for her anyways exactly she needs it she does (laughs) she's so cute i love her but yeah she she's got some diet cultured thoughts up in there Mm. okay so tell me about how race has caused trauma for you or privilege and it sounds like there's like a push and pull of like what am i where do i stand tell me about that yeah it's this is something that I've kind of, I've, I've pushed down for a long time. So um, we like, I'm happy to talk about it, but it's probably not going to be as kind of uh, figured out as the other stuff that I'm used to talking about. But I think, um, yeah, I think the, the sense of otherness, like I said, was, I clocked onto it very, very early. uh, And I don't, remember having kind of any female like person of color role models any women of color in my Mm. life to kind of look to and identify with um so my my mom is white my dad is black my dad has also for the majority of my life been a teacher at the schools that I go to (laughs) so it's kind of been uh unmistakable that I was his daughter um and that we were a mixed race children Mm -hmm. and that has meant that has meant a strange thing growing up like I said in this very white and also very right-wing town I live in a town that at one point was on one of the only places in the UK that had voted for the most right-wing party you could vote for um, oh called UKIP so that has been kind of difficult to navigate and I think there had been a lot in my childhood of of this forced assimilation of well this is all I'm gonna get I'm only gonna have white friends and my dad is the only black adult that I see in this whole town Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to get by here and as much as um, my friends kind of they noticed a difference in some ways, you know, there was always lots of comments like around skin color, like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm almost as tanned as you. And Oh yes. That, that classic come back from holiday, put your arm against my arm. Love that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, um, they kind of, they, they kind of accepted me, I think as not that different. And obviously I have a lot of features that carry a lot of privilege in them. I have for one, I have straight hair and that has been, uh, I think the biggest thing that has made me racially ambiguous to a lot of people throughout my life, um, I don't have black hair, textured hair, and my brother basically does. My sister has curls, and I've always had straight, straight hair. 
And so that has been a great privilege and I don't have to deal with all the microaggressions that come with that. And also has been kind of uh, something that stops me identifying as strongly um, because some people just think I'm white and it's a very kind like awkward thing to have to constantly remind people that that's not your identity that's not your heritage and when they right. assume it it takes something away from you inside while also recognizing the huge privilege of being mm-hmm. assumed white in so many spaces I think I had um I had a lot of conversations about this with my current partner Kenny who's also mixed race dad is black mum is white and he summed it up by saying you know growing up mixed race often feels like you're just trying not to upset either side. You don't want to call yourself black in case your black side says you're not black enough to do that and you're not recognizing the benefits that have come from being lighter and you don't want to, you can't call yourself white because you're not white, but equally you don't want to enforce your blackness with white people because they're white people. Um, So (laughs) it's... uh, yeah, I think that that messily sums up the experience. That sounds complex. It sounds like walking a tightrope. Yeah, I think I think it can be, but in in my situation it's almost it's a tightrope that has a net underneath it, you know? Like there's still there's still underlying safety there as much as I've experienced, I would say microaggressions, particularly around um, my romantic relationships, my relationships with men primarily, and, you know, how they saw me as this exotic mixed race thing. Um, I haven't experienced the extreme violence and harassment that people who are darker than me have to experience. So it's a, it's a, it's a tie rope with a safety net. That's interesting. I like that visual. So, it sounds like you were fat shaming yourself uh, mm-hmm. for your legs but did you experience body shaming fat shaming do you still experience that and how does that feel in your body I can pinpoint like a few times around that that time in my life where it was coming externally I would say I was maybe like a couple of sizes above the majority of my classmates I've always just been basically a bit chunky a bit medium sized you know mm-hmm. and so as a child as a child that's very recognizable like do you remember as a child seeing like grown-ups and the people who you would think were fat were not fat at all <laughs> yes I always sum this up with like Hilda and Zelda in Sabrina Oh, yes. Yes. Remember, and like Hilda was supposed to be the fat one, but she's she's literally just mid-sized. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I definitely have that um, about myself. And I had a few comments. I remember like a, a couple of boys saying things and I had a brother who would give me a bit of a hard time and stuff like that. But I didn't I definitely didn't experience like extreme fat phobia, prejudice or discrimination because of it. And I think as I've come into this work as an adult, like it's always mainly come from internally. It's always mainly been internalized fat phobia mm. with a few outlying instances, which makes my experience very, very different to the fat people who do this work. And the internet kind of changes that because the internet is similar to like the child's perspective in that like it, it doesn't matter 
um, almost what size you are. If you're a woman on the internet, you're going to get body shamed in some way uh, yeah. if you show your body. So that's been the majority of my external experiences of fat phobia. And how did that, how does that feel? Um, I think, well, it, it fucking hurt at first. Uh-huh. Um, and I wanted to to quit and, and never come back because it's like you hold all these all these horrible opinions about yourself inside for so, so long. And then suddenly they're right there in front of you. Um, but thankfully, by the time I had got to having a public profile, um, I had done a lot of work uh, unpacking my internalized fat phobia and, and learning about diet culture and, and kind of getting into feminism more so I was as prepared as I could have been to let in the opinions of strangers on my body um so I was able to weather it and also equally it was obviously nowhere near as much as other people get and I had again I guess the safety net under the tightrope of that even if I was getting shit online from you know 15 year olds Republican white boys in the US, I could <laughs> turn off my phone and they're the worst. <laughs> yeah, the, the classics, you know. Um, I, I could put down my phone and go into the world, and my experience wasn't going to be the mm. same. So, yeah, that's the same. It's the same safety net thing. So, what kind of work were you doing before you got to that public place? in terms of body politics or otherwise yeah yeah what did that look like where did that come from like how did you come to that work for yourself you know i've only been calling it work for maybe like a year because i don't know about you but for for the longest time if you told people that you like made stuff on instagram that was not seen as work that was yes, yes. <laughs> that was not a yeah. job that was like a hobby that you had exactly so yeah it's been it's been not long that i've been calling it work and it wasn't it wasn't work when i came into it it was just personal healing it was just i had stumbled across this this group of people who happened to be talking about dieting and not dieting anymore and body acceptance and this at the time was a group of people that was incredibly diverse and they kind of welcomed me into this unknown little corner of the internet mm. and, and basically said, yeah, you can, you can heal here. You can say what you need to say. Um, and it was very, very small and there wasn't the spotlight on it and no one had these big platforms. There weren't really a such thing as an influencer. Uh, so that was, that was how it started. And in putting out my own personal stuff, it just started to grow and morph into this really unknown thing where where suddenly I stopped being Megan. I stopped being someone who was who was sharing stuff for myself and I started becoming someone who was sharing stuff for other people to consume. And over the years that turned into the work that it is now. So what kind of trauma in your life led to your eating disorder oh that's a big question isn't it yes um what kind of trauma i would love to well i don't know if i would love to sometimes i have wanted to be able to kind of have a a thing or an, an event or a moment to be able to point to but i think 
I think I was just a culmination of all the right high-risk things. Like, you know, when we talk about um, who's most susceptible to eating disorders and the, the, the psychological components of that, of like people who are perfectionists, people who are very hard on themselves, people who are very all or nothing. And then you look at the physical components of that as like people who don't see themselves aligned with the beauty standard or, or people who take in a lot of the beauty standard and a lot of diet culture. I was all those things and also quite um, stereotypical in the fact that I started to, to develop my eating disorder when I was going through puberty. So it was the aspect of everything changing in my life and mm -hmm. my body changing, school changing. And food for me, I think I, I learned early on that food was something that I could change myself with and I could exert power over. I think a lot of the time when we feel um, like we don't have power over situations, we don't have control over situations, we look to things that we can control and that we can put our feelings of hopelessness or pain into and for me that mm -hmm. that became food and the fact that I was also super invested in the beauty standard that was that I was taking in that time which was thin white able-bodied westernized beauty features mm -hmm. that just coincided perfectly and it was like the it was like the perfect storm I think that's that's what led up to it and you know, it's that thing as well of um, when you have a restrictive eating disorder, it's almost like a chicken and egg of you restrict. The restriction itself has an effect on your brain. So it's like, how yes. how do you climb out of it once you've started, you know? Exactly. Because then you're not nourishing your brain at all and it can't think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's rough. Um, I also had sort of like a... I don't know if it was like a perfect storm. I'm definitely an all or nothing thinker and a perfectionist too. Mm -hmm. But I did have like a lot of events in a short amount of time that caused me to start putting my feelings into food too. Mm -hmm. I mean, if food didn't taste so good, you know, it wouldn't have been an issue. <laughs> and, this, and this is the thing, like, of, of all the things, of all the things to like, um, put your emotions into you know some people would argue that food isn't the most harmful but it just I guess depends on the other factors of who you are and where that then goes yes I mean I feel like if you could like adopt dogs at that age like we would have people with, like dogs because oh, okay that's a right thing to put your feelings into like you know what call Nita because that <laughs> bath salt <laughs> New eating disorder. It's actually just hoarding animals. <laughs> oh, it's okay to laugh about. That's so dark. But oh, funny. it's totally. I am, like, I am. I just live in dark humor. Like, oh my gosh, it cracks me up. Like, I every time I start with a new therapist, I'm like, how do you how do you do with sarcasm? Because like, if you don't do well with sarcasm, this isn't gonna work. So. Uh. I like that. I appreciate that. Keep it coming. <laughs> okay. So let's see. I guess, I don't know if you've talked about this, um, but are you queer? 
I identify as queer, but haven't massively done so publicly. Well, here we go. Uh, <laughs> my, my friend totally did that to me on the first episode, and I think I, like, edited it so it wasn't as bad. Um, <laughs> so my, yeah, go ahead. My, my question was, have you experienced trauma for your queerness? Um, no, because I think growing up and recognizing that I was not only attracted to men um, and boys as a teenager, it was very, very easy to hide um, an attraction to, to women behind perf a performance for men. So my experiences of uh, being with women in like a romantic sexual capacity they were always dressed up as entertaining men. It was always, you know, there was a, there was a man there and we were doing that for the man because obviously um, if you're a lesbian, that has to be about the male gaze, right? Like it has, always. To, always. has to be for them in some way. So that's, that's what it was as a teenager. And I, and I got into a long-term relationship with a cisgender man when I was 18 and I was with him for eight years. So I kind of just, it was a monogamous relationship. So I kind of just put away any questions of, am I actually straight? Because it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to explore that anyway. So I'll just, mm -hmm. I'll just forget about that. Um, and so I identified as straight for those eight years. And then I came out um, and initially was, you know, only open to dating men because uh, that's what I had known. Um, also men are just like easy, easier to, figure out and date to be honest like they're quite simple to date women um, are so complicated like their brains yeah. just like function <laughs> in like every sort of way like mm -hmm. i don't understand yes exactly that oh, um man. So men are like a... me eat food me man like yeah <laughs> That's that's yeah. That's who I chose to date to start exactly. with, um, exactly. to ease myself back in to dating. And I happened to meet a guy who is not cis, who is trans, um, and slowly have been learning how to define that relationship. Um, we've been seeing each other for nearly a year now, and it is it's a queer relationship, but it's also a relationship between a man and a woman, you know, like it's not, it's not a gay relationship. It's just, it's a queer relationship because trans mm -hmm. falls under the umbrella of queer. Uh, and I've been trying to navigate essentially how to talk about my sexuality with that in mind, because I'm very, very conscious of coming out and saying, Hey, I date people of all genders. People will use that and weaponize that as a way to say, well, that means your boyfriend isn't a man. Um, and I have never wanted that. And that's why I've been so quiet, I guess. Like it has never felt like, it's never felt like the right time essentially to come out. Um, and also I'm very, very protective of him and how people treat him. And I don't want to give anyone any ammunition to undermine his gender, you know? It's, it's like so... I guess the word is violent, like people's attacks on social media, like mm. especially when you're in that space so much like as we are, because I feel like I'm constantly on my phone. So if I'm getting attacked, like 
it definitely affects my mood and like my day. Yes, a hundred percent. It's not. And you carry that with you. I've been so conscious lately of like the first things you take in when you wake up in the morning and mm. look at your phone and within mm -hmm. five minutes of being awake, that's just like trauma, 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 trauma. Um, and yeah, putting yourself more in the firing line for that. It's, yes. it's, it's difficult. It's again, like it's such a balancing act and I haven't really figured it out. This is the first time I've like publicly on a, on a platform that isn't my own, like even referenced it, but Hey, gotta start somewhere. <laughs> I know, right? We, we gotta be open, I guess. Well, you got time before this comes out to right, put it right. on your page. But yeah, I, I actually have been very conscious in the last like few weeks that I've set like the downtime up downtime on my phone that I can't go onto Instagram until it's eight AM. Mm. Um so I can't roll over at like six AM and go on Instagram. Like You wake up at six AM? Ugh is rough well okay so i may have listened to my alarm go off for a solid hour today before i actually woke up at seven mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's fine it's fine um 7am is still strong adulting <laughs> but yeah so i know that like i'm supposed to be quote unquote sitting at my desk working at 8am so by then i will have like eaten breakfast i will have gotten dressed i will have done my hair etc so there is like time for me to like take care of myself and get ready before I access Instagram. Yeah, that's, it takes some restraint, but it's, it's probably the way I've, I've been trying like for a while to only give myself like an hour a day to catch up with Instagram. And it means oh, I, I miss quite a lot. Like I definitely don't see everything. I've like given up watching people's stories entirely and I'll just try and have a one hour scroll in the afternoon and then call it a day um and it, it like it helps mentally but man do you feel like you are missing out or like not connecting with people yeah mm -hmm. like even if I take like 24 hours off I'm like what did I miss like I know it feels like so serious and like yeah like but I noticed like last month in June with like the Black Lives Matter stuff like I realized that I was like waking up and like supposedly getting ready for work and I would be on social media for like an hour and a half just mm. like scrolling going back between accounts and like responding to like messages and I was just like so overwhelmed that I couldn't even start my day without being on there for like an hour and a half and I was like this has to stop did you did you experience like a lot of people expecting more emotional energy from you during that time yes and no um I feel like, like, the week before the Amplify Melanated Voices thing happened, I was getting a lot of questions and requests from white people. But then the Amplify Melanated Voices thing happened and people were actively like, stop asking black people for emotional labor. <laughs> uh -huh. And white people were like, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. Um so I was literally just like, if people asked me questions, I was like, why don't you go ask my white friend this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like shoving them off on other people. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was great. 
gotta do what you gotta do exactly exactly and like i mean it was consensual i asked my white friends if that was okay <laughs> i wasn't just like shoving them on my white friends but you were just like passing them onto taylor swift's page <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure taylor swift can answer your racial bias questions <laughs> she she might be okay you know like she seems a lot more aware than she used to be oh totally she's so much more woke she was just (laughs) hiding in her unwoke closet of country music i know Um, did you watch that documentary by the way i did actually i did what did you think i was into it (laughs) Mm -hmm, me too yeah very into it i actually want to watch it again yes Yes, and I want to watch Demi Lovato's um, documentary again, too. Uh, I didn't see that. It was, I think it's on YouTube. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Especially as someone who was, like, you know, in the Camp Rock fan Mm. base. (laughs) Were you? Because I was there, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I saw um, the Joe Bros in concert when I was younger. It was magical. Mm -hmm. It was magical. (laughs) I think Jordan Parks opened for them back when Jordan Parks was <gasps> thing. Oh, man. Oh, that's so, so good. Which, was, yeah. were, were you in love with the Jonas brother? Um, I was a big Joe fan. I thought Nick was kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and then Kevin. Poor Kevin. Poor, Just poor Kevin. No, no, no. Kevin was the mum's favorite. He did fine. Like... <laughs> I feel like he didn't get the love that everyone else got. It was just like, and Kevin's <laughs> here on stage too. <laughs> yeah, but there was probably there was probably quite a lot of freedom in that, like not experiencing the level of fandom and like harassment True. from the young True. fans. True, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh gosh, yes, I love the Joe Bros. I I listen to their songs frequently. It's fine. It's great. Me too. Their new album's great. Also, can I say? Side note: I love I love when a serious podcast um segues into disney (laughs) i know right i mean there's always there's always time for everything (laughs) i'm the worst i'm like let's go on tangents like on my episode a couple weeks ago i was editing it and i had forgotten that like for the last five minutes of the episode it was just me falling in love with fat thor um (laughs) so that was definitely on an episode (laughs) excellent it's yeah relatable you know relatable content i mean fat thor can get it so yeah (laughs) basically basically (laughs) um okay okay so i'll I'll let you i'll let you uh steer i'll just i'll I'll roll that back (laughs) Because <laughs> I can go on about Fat Thor for a while, as we discovered. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to edit this. Um, okay, so how did you come out of your eating disorder? How did you come to recovery? Are you fully recovered? Are you in strong recovery? What does that look like for you? Um. So. Again, this is like, this is a question that over the years I have, I have really wanted to have a magic answer answer for essentially like, you, you know, this, when you talk about recovery online, everyone wants that like one shot. How do I do this too? Right. Um, what, like, what is the step that I take so that I get to be you? Ex- exactly. And it's just, it's just not that it's, it's years, like it is years and it is 
failing and trying things and it not working and sometimes Ugh. relapses and it's a lot. I think, I think for me, um, honestly, my motivation wasn't me to start with. It was just, I, I cannot hurt my family anymore. I cannot hurt the people that I love anymore going down this path. And I was at like a, a real rock bottom. Um, and it was, uh, like well, con trigger warning. Um, I was going to die. Like that was, that was the situation. And I realized that if I did not change, um, then I was going to hurt my family more than I ever could sticking around. I, I always say like when you are in that complete eating disorder mindset, it's like, it's like your brain has been for me, it was like my brain had been taken over and it was just a shroud over everything. And it's like, it wasn't me, but you get these tiny little moments, right? You get these like pinpoints of light that come through when you're like, oh shit, look what I have done. Like, how could this have gotten this out of control? And then you fall back into the place where it's like, you're not even there anymore. Right. Um, and so I had like one of those moments where I was able to like see the reality and see the light of it. Mm. And I think recovery depends on whether you can latch onto that moment, whether you can make that moment last beyond a couple of minutes or, oh, or a day yeah. um and I latched on for dear life and I did it for other people at first and particularly for my dad because he had been my biggest like champion and supporter throughout recovery and I just took it from there and it was it was messy and hard and took a long time but that's that's how it happened and I do, I, I do call myself recovers. I completely respect that other people don't relate to that and that it's not useful for them. Um, and that, you know, a continuous process is better for them. For me, I feel like, I barely feel like I'm the same person. And, you know, this happened when I was 15 was when I like really started recovery 15, 16, so that's over 10 years ago. And I kind of, don't feel like the same person anymore and I feel like regardless of how bad my mental health gets I don't go to those coping mechanisms anymore um, mm. and I haven't for a long long time so I call myself recovered but I understand I understand why people don't do you I you know I don't know where I'm at I mm. feel like on some days I'm doing good some days I'm like nah son um so i feel like i'm in i'm the kind of person who like never goes with an absolute because i'm always like it could be worse it could be better um mm -hmm. and i feel like that probably doesn't actually help because i'm always like well i could be doing better i'm not really in strong recovery because strong could be much better than what i'm doing but like mm -hmm. i think that like i probably am in some sort of strong recovery but I do notice that like occasionally things get a little out of whack and is this really fully recovered? Probably not. Um, I mean, it's only been four years almost since mm -hmm. I like started 
or even made any sort of step towards recovery. So I know it takes longer than that usually to become fully recovered from an eating disorder. Um, So I feel like I'm probably still in recovery, but I mean, you've been in for like 10 years. That's so long. Yeah. You know, I think, I think part of it is we don't have a lot of language to describe recovery. Like, it's still there's still so little known about it in the professional mm-hmm. spaces and like the scientific spaces and for us individuals we kind of give ourselves this this all or nothing language around recovery that doesn't recognize that it can literally feel different every day right and i thought we were supposed to be staying away from the all or nothing stuff anyways you know <laughs> yeah so. there's that oh why? wow that was really loud that was really loud <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like um, I get confused because I feel like for some people, it's like you go to treatment, you leave treatment, you're in recovery. But like, if you go back into your eating disorder, you're not in recovery. But if recovery is not linear, then if you go back into your eating disorder, aren't you still in recovery? Like, is it like a little badge that they like put on you and then they just like take it away sometimes? Like, like what mm-hmm. like what does that even mean like i don't know i get i get annoyed with nuance <laughs> obviously no i completely hear you and like is relapse part of recovery and i guess i don't know it like it feels it feels to me that relapse you have to include that as part of recovery because you you still take something away from that every time like even if you fall the fuck down like super hard right you come out of that slightly different in some way yes and I feel like also like when you enter recovery whatever that means like there is this sort of like awareness and this like knowing that like what you're doing like if you're restricting you know like I shouldn't be doing this because you're in recovery as opposed to like when you're in your eating disorder before you even know what recovery is like, there isn't that thought of like, I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I remember like when I went to treatment, I would like go and like drive and like go binge from like a fast food restaurant. And the whole time I'd be like trying to like get my binge on and I'd be like, nah man this isn't this isn't working like this isn't this isn't what I need like this is this isn't helping in the same way that like I wish it was like I was so woke to like what I was doing that I wasn't even getting the benefit of the binge yeah yeah and that that pissed me off not gonna lie um (laughs) but like I feel like there is some sort of awareness that means that like you are in recovery yeah definitely I think that 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 sums up as well like how um how like crafty eating disorders can be because it's like you're the part of your brain that's the eating disorder it knows that as soon as you essentially like wake up as soon as you get that awareness it's not gonna have the same hold mm-hmm. i think that's why for so long like it can just straight up trick you for years into thinking that nothing is wrong and just deny everything and and you're right like it changes it's a different it hits you in a different way when you know what you're doing is wrong and harming you and, and maybe harming others. Um, yes. But it's still, there's, there's still like a gap there. There's still like a gap between knowing it's wrong and okay, like I'm able to stop doing it. That is the most frustrating thing too, because 
it feels very much like I can stop doing this right now, but it also feels like you're not in the driver's seat. So like, Mm. can you really make that decision? Mm. Have you had any, like, um, were there any really important books or moments or like pieces of media that have been like impactful in your recovery? That's a good question. Um, probably, probably. But not off the top of your head. Not off the top of my head. I mean, <laughs> I've watched like a lot of like YouTube stuff and I, I guess I read um the book, what is it? Elena Vanishing. I think that might be what it's called. Well, I actually listened to it. Um, and I remember that that was the first like eating disorder memoir book where it talked about recovery in it. Um, and I remember listening to that book and getting to the part where she started recovering and I was like, yeah, I don't want to listen to this anymore. Um, and then I came back to it when I was in treatment and I was like, Oh, this is like, this is good. Like this is this, this makes sense to me now. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't like ready for it until I had gotten like woke to like what that actually meant. Mm. Cause I just wanted to like, you know, read about the behaviors and get ideas um, and not, not hear about getting better. Who wants that? Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I remember that being a good book for me at least. Um I mean, I I watched Jen Breddy's YouTube videos with every meal and snack for like a year because mm-hmm. I couldn't stand to eat by myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah, but that, that like that that was that was very. Um, I just had a very physical reaction to you saying that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's just I. I I wish you didn't have to like I'd either eat alone or like feel like that but I'm glad you had somewhere to find a little company or comfort I guess yeah yeah I mean it just kind of like showed me that it was like okay to eat mm. I guess to an extent mm. yeah it it helped a lot I I I mean I spent a lot of time on youtube watching various different things but i think it was also kind of hard because a lot of the content that i was consuming did not involve people in fat bodies um Mm -hmm. and so it felt like i was missing that piece Mm -hmm. for sure do you feel like you found that now um yes and no i mean i wish there was more content that thin people are creating but from fat body perspectives um Mm -hmm. but i think that it's better and i think that i've had a chance to find more um yeah what about you have you do you have any sort of like content that really helped you uh not not like while i was in um the starter part of recovery that was kind of Mm -hmm. very much um self-driven and like family driven I think for me when I came into learning about uh body politics and body positivity 
like the beauty myth um naomi wolf's book was a huge turning point for me because it was like it was essentially the first time i had seen body image and eating disorders put next to the context of the diet industry and kind mm. of given a reason beyond there's something wrong in your head like more this is actually being encouraged by our culture this is being perpetuated by the world we live in that was the first time i had ever seen that and even though it was like it was written in like 91 so a lot of the stuff was kind of outdated it was still it was still relevant enough um and then i kind of went i used to always go looking um for people to identify with when i was in stuff like the starter stages of recovery because mm -hmm. i went from um we're not we're not like saying like sizes or numbers but i essentially i went from being very 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 thin to being uh, a uk size 16 so that's like mid-sized um and in my head that was like i have failed recovery because i haven't stayed tiny and when mm. i looked to the media and the media portrayal of eating disorders obviously like it's always very sensationalized um it's yes. always quite harmful and it's at the time like 10 years ago it was also always thin white women that was it um and i remember like typing into google like what do you do if you've recovered from an eating disorder and now you're fat because that's that's how i saw myself and i didn't i i just didn't find anything or anyone um until later later and i and i agree with you like there is still even now there is such a lack of fat people making content around recovery um and eating disorders especially like when it involves a restrictive eating disorder and i think that's massively due to the stigma and the disbelief yes. and you know if you I'm, I'm sure you like know um and follow danny adriana mm, yes love danny so she, she was like she was the first fat person who i followed who was also talking about recovery and talking about recovering from the same type of eating disorder that i had had she was my first encounter and i found her content so so important in that like she was the only one as far as i could see who was like giving that hope to other yes. people yeah. and also opening up my horizons because i still had this internalized idea of of what an eating disorder looks like and she was she helped me to unlearn that as well but yeah, you're right. We we still need we still need more. Yes. Oh gosh, I remember that I went around when I thought I was woke. I went around telling people that I needed to weight restore down. Thank you, Nia. Thank you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is what I told that's people. That's some mind trickery. Yep. I was like, I got to weight restore down. Um, wow. Yeah, because. I mean, in my mind, recovery meant this is finally the way that I figure out how to lose the weight. Mm. Mm. And that's, have you found that like in resources for binge eating recovery, like there's, there's still a lot of weight focus, right? Yes. Yes, there is. There is. It's very frustrating. It's mm. very frustrating. Mm. I think that's, it's only in real recent years that the the awareness of how much fat phobia is embedded in various eating disorders has has come to happen and and also like i'm pretty sure a lot of resources on recovering from 
binge eating disorder are still written by thin people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh shit, Nia! Where's where's the book? Where's your book? I know we're working on it. And, and okay. Amongst all of my free time, excuse me, excuse <laughs> me, let me just throw the book in there real quick. <laughs> oh, I, I do. Love that. I, love I do that. have a page on my um, online planner that says "Untitled Book," but you know Perfect. we we haven't really done that work yet. <laughs> No, it's it's yeah, it's it's a long haul, but I I and lots of other people will be here for it. I look forward to the day. I know I'm. I literally talked to like um someone in a publishing department this week and was like, if I ever wanted to write a book, how would I go about that? So it's mm-hmm. I'm chewing on it. I'm chewing on it. My therapist okay. says put that in your brain box and chew it. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing which is the weirdest thing to say ever. And I tell her that all the time, but (laughs) so now you do social media work. I guess we can call it work now that we are in this century. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how the public part of posting started for you. Hmm. Um, I think I think it kind of started um, with this awareness that I had gone my entire life up until uh, the age of 21 without ever hearing someone sincerely say, you don't have to diet or you don't have to hate your body. Uh, you don't have to live in fear of fat like you. You're OK. And I I realized that if I had gone my whole life without ever hearing that, there must also be a lot of other people who had gone their entire lives without hearing it. Mm. And that's kind of when I, I guess, I guess accepted and like wanted to more step into a role of publicly putting that message out there and not knowing what was going to come from that, not knowing what that was going to look like, but just genuinely like being excited by the idea that people were hearing that message for maybe the first time. And then maybe from me, they were going to go and find these other people who were my community, who were talking about the same things and talking about these things from different perspectives. And some of them were more radical than I was. And I wanted to kind of be that stepping stone, be that like first stepping stone into this whole world for, for a lot of people who'd never heard it. Um, and that's, that's, I think, what, what kept me sticking around when the not so great side of, of, of doing something publicly was there. Gosh, yes. When you, like the first time you have to learn, don't read the comments. Oh, God. never read the comments on Facebook. Never, never read the comments. That is a rule, but you don't know that rule at first. Nope, you gotta learn the hard way. Yes, I read the comments on a Yahoo article about me once. That was a, that was when I learned not to read the comments. And I think there were 85 comments and two of mm-hmm. them were nice. Oh my God. How long, how long did that take you afterwards to like let those words go? <laughs> Dude, I can still hear them. I was gonna say like did you even (sighs) that's uh, it's it's 
it's so fucked up like how little time and care goes into someone writing something like that and then it can stick with you for your life forever all right they took all of 30 seconds to write it and Mm -hmm. it's been years and i can still remember the words like yes Mm -hmm. yes Mm. so you very much set out with the intention of like i want to inspire people yeah it's it's cheesy like it's Mm-mm, no it's not cheesy that's reasonable <laughs> i mean um, i think that's profound actually but oh thank you that's nice um yeah yeah i think so i think so um and like i said like i didn't really consider the consequences of that and also like the the platform was not that established yet so mm-hmm. in the back of my mind it was very much like this this might all just disappear like it's not as if I'm going to be able to build a career off this or like have a life that stems from this I'm just going to try and try and do this bit of good and like reach these people in this way and we'll see what comes tomorrow or next month so what is it like not like being you but like not being you being like body panda. what is what is it like being a name Oh, that's a that's a good question. Why do you keep hitting me with these? <laughs> I, I, it's just I'm amazing. It's fine. <laughs> um, what, what is that like? What is that like? Um, I would say that over the years, it has been quite difficult to hold on to Megan, and I think that's maybe that's maybe a similar situation for like anyone who has a platform or you know actual like celebrities maybe like find it difficult to hold on to who they are versus who people think they are and I still I have these conversations all the time with with like friends of mine who also do similar work and who have platforms and how overwhelming it can sometimes be to know that you have so little control over who people think you are essentially like you can go out of your way to try and be the most authentic and try and prove actually I stand for this I believe in this um, I'm here for this cause as well some people will just hate you <laughs> like some people mm-hmm. don't want to don't want to know what you're about they just need you to be a figure that they can put their frustration into essentially and I have had to accept that um, and and really had to come to terms with the idea of not being liked, which was another one of my like big things growing up and probably components of of my eating disorder as well is that I have to be perfect so other people will, will like me as well and oh. and the need to be loved, right? So yes. that gets put to the test nearly every day. And, you know, even now, we're talking five, six years down the line. Some days I just don't want to show up. I don't want to, I don't want to be body posy panda. I don't want to have to lay myself out for consumption and for other people's judgment to then maybe like for people to willfully misunderstand me or claim that I'm something that I'm not because it, it takes so much strength to know who you are in the face of someone telling you you're the opposite. Oh, and that, that's been that's been like building a muscle like truly that has been um therapy like a lot of therapy and like friends 
um, helping as well. And I sometimes lose it. Like literally this time a month ago, I lost it again, completely just like crumbled in my sense of self. Um, and I've had to rebuild it again. Um, and, and here we are. And this is like, this is the, like the first, um, interview or like public thing that I've, that I've done. Um, by the way, thank you. It's been like a very nice welcoming, uh, re-entry <laughs> into this world. Um, but yeah, it's, it still comes and goes. I feel that. So on those days where you don't want to show up as your persona, do you post or do you not? Mm, I used to. I, um, I, I used to literally force myself, regardless of where I was at mentally and regardless of what was happening in my day-to-day life, to post at 7 p.m. every single day, uh, no matter what, even if it meant you know, I had brain block and I had to sit for five hours trying to think, what am I going to post? I I would do that. Um, and just like crank it out, crank out that content because I thought if I don't show up, like, first of all, you, you, there's kind of this underlying fear of, of, um, becoming irrelevant, which social media is really good at perpetuating. It makes you think that if you're not constantly there and keeping up and like posting, everyone's going to forget about you, which isn't really how the world works. Um, and there was that. And there was also like in the early stages, like if, if I don't put a recovery message up today, like maybe I'm, I'm going to miss trying to being able to support someone. And it was, Mm. I did that for years. I did that for years, every single day, no matter what. And then I like crashed, just crashed out and couldn't log on for a few weeks. Um, and I'm getting a bit better now, uh, not, forcing a schedule and like not forcing what I have to post and posting what I want to post but yes yeah, it slips sometimes because people are really really out here like with it with a complete schedule five-year yes. business plan yes. basically that they're holding up through social media and when you're just trying to be a person it's hard <laughs> right right like it's not like a business where you're selling a product it's like yourself like you are the product Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's that's real that's real oh I feel that I've recently not posted as much on my personal account and I felt the same way of like like what if people like forget about me what if the algorithm just like is like she doesn't even exist anymore like Mm -hmm it feels that pressure of like, I have to post, I have to post. But like, at the same time, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. And like, it Mm -hmm. feels like a lot of pressure to like, say something profound every single day. Like, what if nothing profound happened that day? Like, I literally napped for like five hours yesterday. Like, there was nothing profound in that at least i mean i could make something up and maybe it would sound beautiful but like Mm. like i was just tired but you know what i would appreciate seeing someone say i napped for five hours today like genuinely that would that that to me would be like i don't know like helpful content because it's like normalizing rest when you need rest (laughs) normalize naps I need need a shirt that says that actually (laughs) writing writing that down make a shirt that says normalized naps okay got it got it that'll be up tomorrow obviously you you work fast wow (laughs) 
I I don't know. I'm honestly I am on these really good meds right now. <laughs> I sound like a drug addict, but these meds are the bomb. Like wow. These meds are making my my month. So I love that we've had we've got through like an hour of this conversation and then now you're like, by the way, I'm on these really great meds. <laughs> I'm on some great meds. That's why I should have started this out. Just like just so you know, I'm on some good meds. I mean yeah. <laughs> honestly, I don't know if I would have handled last month and everything that happened as well as I did mm-hmm. if I wasn't on these good meds. Yeah. So, yeah, here we go. Um Okay, so what has been your favorite, and this might be a difficult question because I know you've done like a gazillion different things, but what has been your favorite project to work on? um, Can it be, can it be something that hasn't come out yet? Yes. So I am currently like have been during this uh, pandemic have been working on making more content with my sister, um, but Aww. in content that like looks a bit more professional. I know everyone loves her. She's, she's, yeah, she's so cool. So much cooler than me. Um, anyway, <laughs> we did this. Um, we would, we would sometimes like randomly, I would just put my phone in its holder when we were driving back from a place uh, and just like film us having a chat and like put it on my stories. Uh, and the response was always really nice. So I was like, why don't I invest some time into figuring out like how to make this an, a cool series where it's like mm. a bit better quality, like filmed and like has editing in it and stuff. So I've been working on and off on that for like a few months now. Um, and I managed to find a, a really great video editor who does um, like meme editing around it. Um, and that will be coming out soon 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 like I'm I've nearly finished filming the series with her and it's just like it makes it makes me smile the whole time I'm watching it so it's like a different a different kind of wholesome content and I I love making content with her I think the the internet deserves well needs her doesn't deserve her but it needs her (laughs) we we are not worthy we are not worthy (laughs) but I feel that I feel like there's something so sacred in creating stuff that makes you smile and like makes you passionate and happy Mm -hmm. Uh, like I'm feeling that right now with my business because I'm basically rebranding which by the time this comes out people will know that um but I've decided to like create content that makes me happy instead of painfully trying to design stickers for planners that makes me very upset <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, yeah. I think people notice the difference between like when you're genuinely invested in what you're creating and when you're just going through the motions exactly exactly like i when i design like a new enamel pin i'm like the like the most excited about it and i just want everyone to like see it and like have it in their hands um mm-hmm. and like i feel that like that's like i smile about it because i'm so excited about it and i feel that so yeah all right well i'm excited to see that personally thanks (laughs) um so what was the jump off point for your account when i mean instagram has obviously turned into a social media beast but what was the jump off point between just 
I'm going to put content out here to inspire people. And oh my gosh, where's everyone coming from? Why are you all following me? Right. When, when did it get out of hand? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so I was, I was putting out this personal content for um, probably like a year without much outside recognition. Um, and, and like, body positivity was not a buzzword in the media in anywhere near the same mm-hmm. way that it, it became in later years. And no one really knew that much about what we were doing. And then uh, one day I got an email from, I don't even know how to describe it, essentially a, a company that collects people's stories to like sell to the press. Um, oh. So like when you see those real life magazines, that's like, I had eight children with 17 different people like (laughs) that's that's the stories that they they collect um and they had seen me like talking about recovery and like sharing my experience um and they were like we're we're always looking for eating disorder stories essentially especially because this one has the difference of you've come out the other side and now you're posting about like never dieting and like stuff like that and um we we want to hear about that and so I was like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Oh gosh. Um, oh gosh. And it it started with like one article as it does. Um, and that was fine, like, but then I went to sleep and the next oh. day, like fifty different outlets had picked it up and it was suddenly coming in from like Germany and Spain someone in France has sent me it like it was and it was it was everywhere and then it was like come on the tv on like the the morning tv shows that we have here in the UK come and do that it's live um and then it just it just snowballed so that that probably took me from like 5k over a year building 5k over a year and then overnight it jumped to 100 no Uh, yeah yeah and I did not know how the fuck to handle that that was terrifying to me oh my gosh I think I would have just like thrown my phone across the room and like just (laughs) freaked out (laughs) yes yes because suddenly suddenly it's like fuck how what what do these people want from me and like how do I please them like I I I can't manage the expectations of a hundred thousand people um and it just it just kept going and I think to be honest, a lot of it was I I was doing that at the right time when, you know, Instagram itself was blowing up um, and it kind of just happened in tandem and it just didn't stop. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> it is. It is. But like also I'm I was not the first person to be talking about these things like in general or even on Instagram. And like it's obviously like we have to also acknowledge that Mm -hmm. and like the reasons why I I was the one who got chosen for that story the reasons why a hundred thousand people felt comfortable following me it was because is because they saw what I looked like and they were like she's not going to push me too far out of my comfort zone you know (laughs) she's like she's palatable enough she's not going to be too extreme exactly exactly yeah that's what it was I feel that I feel that okay so what is the most important advice that you have received from someone else in this space? Mm, um, I would say that came from 
Jess Baker, oh. who is is an earth angel, like she's magical. genuinely. Yeah, the world doesn't deserve her. Um, and I had been a fan and a follower and a reader of her blog and her book uh, since kind of before I was that known. Um, and I was like, I was like a proper fan girl. I still have a postcard that she sent out because when she released her first book, it was like, if you're one of the first 100 to pre-order this, you'll get a postcard. And I still <laughs> have the postcard. Um, and she like later in later years, against my belief um became my friends um and i really like for so long was like there's no way you could possibly want to be my friend you're like the coolest person in the world oh, uh, but, so we, <laughs> but we built this friendship and 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 she's been like an incredible support system we don't we don't talk all that often but when we do it's like we set the world to rights um and i remember the first time i met her in person she came to the uk uh and we spent the day together in London. I traveled up to London um, and we were sat having dinner, talking about the community, talking about essentially talking about how to handle not being liked and how to handle what we've already talked about and that thing mm -hmm. of like people, people having perceptions of you that aren't you. Like yes. how do you cope with that? Because I was really struggling with that at the time I had recently, like I was, I was in a lot of like, bad shit with someone who I thought was my friend and turned out they then like decided to hate me and I was like I can't cope I don't know what to do about this um mm -hmm. do you have any advice on this and I don't remember everything that Jess said but she she essentially um said the words hurt people hurt people and mm -hmm. when you look at our community that is filled with people who have come from great trauma with their bodies, with their mental health, and they've come to this online space, like looking for community and looking for healing and comfort. And most of us are not healed yet. Most of us are still carrying some kind of trauma. So of course, we are then going to spill that out onto the people around us and onto the people in this community. Like we are we are a community of people who are healing. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of the pain that exists between people in this community comes from and a lot of the fallouts, a lot of the misunderstandings. Yes. Uh, and I had never really seen it like that before. Um, and just this, I this, just this idea of, you know, what someone else thinks of you isn't necessarily about you. Uh, and it isn't even necessarily your business. Um, it might be something that is going on with them and you have to accept that. Uh, and she said that to me maybe like two, three years ago. Um, and it, it changed things in my mind and I've carried that. And yeah, that was, that was very helpful. Do you have one? That's a good question. Thanks for throwing that back at me. <laughs> look look you can't put me on the spot with what's the best piece of advice and expect me not to throw it back <laughs> i mean should have thought that one through it's all good <laughs> i'll just cut this out so you can't tell that i thought about this for like five <laughs> minutes um let's see let's see maybe just like the permission to like step back and take time and that like not everything that you say has to be like the most profound thing ever. Mm. 
Because I Is know that, that like like I write good words sometimes. Like I write good words sometimes. Um, like <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I say stuff that's like very profound, and people are like, "This is the most amazing thing I've ever heard," and like I just relate to this so much. And then I feel this pressure of like everything I say after this has to be at this level, and yeah, that's unreasonable because I'm not always in that headspace. I'm not always talking in the most eloquent way sometimes i'm just like here's a photo of some oatmeal and it was okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like sometimes that's all i got for you um and i feel like taking some of that pressure off of like it doesn't have to be perfect every time it doesn't have to be a photo of my naked body every time like just the permission Mm -hmm. to like show up as myself yeah yeah, I agree. That's that's a very freeing kind of permission. Yeah. I would say that, like, the permission to, like, take a day off Instagram is probably good advice, but I'm still mm-hmm. I'm still hardcore struggling with that because, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, like, got to be on there every day for hours at a time. Mm. But, yeah, it's, it's a little overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's overwhelming. It is. It is. And you know, that's what these apps want from us. Like, this is how they're designed to make us feel. They want us on there all the time. All uh, and it's, the time. It's fucking hard to step off of that. Oh, it's addicting. It's just, like, the little tiny buttons, and they just, they they give you hearts. Mm. Oh, what, what I would do for a good heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's genuinely a thing, like, when when I when I take time off, like I took like two weeks off recently, and the first few days I'm fine. After that, genuinely, my brain is like, okay, but where are we getting our validation from, please? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, like, like it just it feels so important that I get like all the likes and all the followers, and I I actively try not to get caught up in that but like it's Mm -hmm. really hard not to get caught up in watching the number go up and then getting sad if the number goes down Mm -hmm. and um that sounds familiar doesn't it for anyone in recovery i know right i just said that didn't i yes i did yes i did it it transfers like transfers it transfers oh it does although it was really weird last month with the amplify melanated voices because like i literally usually i post like i turn the light off in bed and then i post and then i go to sleep and so whatever sort of response i get i get it while i'm asleep um wow and i like woke up and i like checked my phone and was just like na 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 like la 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 instagram check the post and i like triple take <laughs> <laughs> something like i had three thousand likes on and i was like huh <laughs> huh <laughs> i was like so thrown i was so thrown like mm-hmm. and then like the next day i posted again and i was like da 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 whatever i'll just don't get caught up if it's not like three thousand likes and then i i double taked again because it was like five thousand likes and i was like mm-hmm. this, is, this is ridiculous i need to put the phone down before i get overwhelmed Mm, but it's mixed feelings right like it's not people would think that you would just be overjoyed and like super happy but it's a real mixed bag i have felt 
very mixed bag because and I've I've talked about this with a few of my friends, like it feels very much like I am profiting off of the death of black people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know how to not feel like skeezy about that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot. That was I saw like a, quite a few um, authors of anti-racism books essentially saying the same thing. Like it doesn't feel right to have my book re-enter the charts every time a black person gets murdered. Right. And then white people are like, we have to buy this. Like, mm. no, you should have bought this like months ago, years ago. Mm. Well, mm. Like it just, it felt sort of icky, like to be literally profiting, making money because someone, multiple someone's had died. Mm-hmm. so it is a mixed feeling and then of course it's like well i said this one good thing now i have to follow it up with something else good like now i've got mm. all people following me and they're expecting this level of content like yeah it yeah it feels it it's a it's a head game it's a head game it is and it's and it's work it is work it is work and then people were just sending me money too and i was like so now i have to actually produce because people are like paying me for this Mm -hmm. oh it's a whole trip it's a whole trip well i hope you i hope you find a way to like navigate all of that that doesn't take too much from you well the white people have slowed down so (laughs) (laughs) that just describes that describes the cultural moment right now (laughs) it really does it really does it does. The white people have like gone back into their little holes under their rocks. So, yeah, I was actually thinking about Patrick Starr. It's fine. Um, <laughs> is that is that beauty SpongeBob guru? Oh, what? Who's the what? Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of Jeffrey Star, but I was thinking uh, about Patrick oh, wow. Star, the starfish wow. SpongeBob, who lives under a rock in a hole. <laughs> That's who I was thinking of. So we just had like a proper like cultural misunderstanding there. <laughs> just a little pop culture on a on a Thursday morning, well <laughs> evening for you, but okay. Well, so I ask everyone who comes on the podcast in the last week um what has been a high high and a low low for you Mm. um which one should i start with you know everyone always says they're gonna start on a low so that they can end on a high and i think it's funny that like everyone always says that but like you do you (laughs) all right uh let's let's start with a high i um have had uh my partner Kenny here for a while and um Sunday last Sunday it was his last day and he really wanted to do something fun uh so on this not hot like mild day that was very very windy he decided that we were gonna go to the beach um and go in the sea I so I live like quite near to the sea but it's not blue sea and like a crystal white sand it is brown sea um clay instead of sands like there we go there we go the essex seaside if you ever visit don't get your hopes up like it's lovely it's nice (laughs) and all but it's not um barbados but he wanted to do that because we hadn't done it the whole time he was here because it'd been too busy with tourists and on this not so sunny day 
he wanted to go in the sea. So we like go down to the edge of the water, strip off. It's so windy. He's like being an absolute wimp about how cold the water is and That's like edging in step by step. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, whatever. Like I, I'm used to this. Um, and pull him in and I I dyed his hair blue that week and he like Ooh. looked like a merman and I was like this is I'm, I'm living some kind of like fantasy it'd be nice if it was warmer but it was it was lovely like it was very wholesome nice fun and amazing that, yeah that was that's that's my high high definitely which like um, also just like as a side note y'all are like the most photogenic couple ever it's fine <laughs> Yeah, I think I need I need photographers to like follow us around because I didn't get any content at that moment. <laughs> that's like the, that's the most Instagram influencer thing. Ever. <laughs> I, I know content. <laughs> How can I live my life without making it into content? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh dear, we joke, but it's yeah, it's real. It's, it's real. So true. It's so true. <laughs> like, like, can you really eat something without taking a photo of it first? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you really eat it if there isn't a photo? Like, <laughs> oh, that's um. So that's my high high. Uh, what's what's my low low? What's my low low? Um, I I don't know. Like I've had like I've I've had a couple of low points in the week as well that have just been essentially feeling a bit hopeless about um the current state of the world in in many ways um and like what's happening with the pandemic and like easing out of what's been locked down here in the UK um and it's all just a bit of a mess still and I'm still like nervous about protecting my sister essentially and I don't know what's coming next and a bunch of people have just gone back to normal and they're like going to pubs and doing whatever they want and I'm still being super cautious about it um, so I've had like a couple of moments of feeling powerless, I guess, and like a bit hopeless and like a bit teary about that. So that that's been that's been my low low. But you know what? That's we we keep going and there's nothing like any one person can do about that except see what comes next. So that's what we do. Yes. There's only so much we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Let go of that control, you know? Without, like, you know, just starting to go up to people and putting masks on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. um, That might not go over so well. Um, No, no, no. I mean, trust me, I (laughs) the amount of fights that I have nearly got into in the supermarket, I have never, I never thought my life would come to this, where I'm full on threatening to fight people in the supermarket because they have, like, reached over my shoulder for something. Oh, no. I know. I just, ugh, don't don't get me started. That's a whole other thing. Oh no! <laughs> I would start like just going after people. <laughs> oh, I don't want to get banned from the supermarket. Exactly. I need it there. Exactly. Like breathing <laughs> is good. Breathing is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Into your mask, of course. Breathing into your mm-hmm. mask is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, can you tell our listeners? I mean. If they weren't listening to this whole thing, where can they find you? <laughs> they can find me on the internet. Um, I'm Body Posy Panda on basically everything. Sometimes there's an underscore. Literally, just Google that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. 
<laughs> just Google Megan Panda and it'll come up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been amazing speaking with you. I am like, I don't even know if overjoyed covers the amount of excitement that I have that you came on and spoke with me, but it has been amazing and I appreciate it so much. I do as well. This has been lovely. This has been very like affirming. So thank you. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you again to Megan for coming on the podcast and speaking with me. This week's episode was sponsored by all my patrons at The Friend I Never Wanted. You can join my Patreon for as little as $1 a month and support the podcast too. Also, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app so you can be notified about our next episodes. If you want to tell us your thoughts about the episode and the podcast in general, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at bodytraumapod at gmail.com. And I would so greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us to be seen by more people. As always, I'm Nia Patterson, and this is Body Trauma. See you next time. Bye.